you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Doesn't use trank darts on Tigers. Well, not always. Only when we need to. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Well, it's a hot I mean, one. The NFL world is buzzing after that big ending today. We have to use those darts sometimes. Yeah. Animals have rights, but they have limited rights. There are times when animal rights um, should not interfere with your your actions. It always makes me a little bit uncomfortable when Greg gets close on the mic. Whatever it is, the inflection yeah. in his voice. I don't know. A little creepy. That's all. Got to keep you on your toes. You do. You do. And that's why we love you, Greg. It's the flagship show. Week 11. How about that? Played all the games today. Didn't even get shut down by one pandemic incident. So we're flying. What is week 10? We, we, right. don't, wanna, we don't want to get week too Week 10, scary, baby. Right? Week 10. <laughs> week that was a flash 10, forward you know, to where we'll be next Sunday at this time. Um, yes, a lot of uh, great action to get to. And as Greg alluded to there, uh, with the close talking on the mic, the ending of the year, I believe. Maybe oh, yeah. to this point, absolutely. But I'm going to go ahead and say that will not be beat. Now, surprise me. Go out there, our league, and surprise me. Top it. But I don't know if it gets topped, what happened in the desert uh, in Glendale. I mean, I, well, what's going on with Hail Marys in that stadium in Arizona? It's crazy. No, I I, I thought that Josh Allen, I know we're going to probably get to it in a second, but it's like that Josh Allen throw I thought was the throw of the week. I and know. Kyler said, I know. No. All right, yes. Listen, no. obviously we're so excited to talk about it. I can't wait to talk about that Browns game too, Mark. You hang in there. <laughs> Listen, That's coming a little later in the show. No more barn. It's been burned to the ground in Cleveland. Uh, what an affair that was. Uh, but yes, before we get to... Uh, another Cleveland Browns victory. Let's start with the aforementioned. That's two aforementioned games of the year. Game of the year. Let's go. Clean it up. 25 yards downfield. Murray back to throw. Flushed out. Rolling left in trouble. Slips a tackle. Got to launch it. He does. Left side into the end zone. Jump ball. And it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness. It's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Hopkins reaches up with three defenders around him and pulls it in. And the Cardinals lead it 32 to 30 with a second left. You can't cover Duke! (laughs) Dave Pash, and of course that was the Wolfman, Ron Wolfie for KTAR. You know, you got to hand it to him. Those are real broadcasters. If I was calling that game, and if it was my team, because I'm sure they're rooting for the Cardinals, so let's say if I'm rooting for the the Jets and that would happen, I would be like, holy f***ing s***, can you believe what just f***ing happened? He f***ing caught the f***ing ball! Well, that's why you're doing this job. <laughs> so credit to them for holding it all together. The Hail Murray, 
That's what we're calling it. That's what I'm calling it. Copyright Mike Tarico. Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. We thank you for your service, Bill O'Brien. Kyler Murray was flushed <laughs> out of the pocket, rolled to the sideline, unfurled the perfect ball 50 yards downfield, and then Nuke showed why he's one of the best. Grabbing that ball away from three Bills defenders, game-winning score, final score, Cardinals 32, Bills 30. Unbelievable. And you rewatched the play, and then we all did. We watched the replays. It seemed like the Bills did almost everything right. I saw Dungy and Chris Sims on the NBC pregame show getting getting on Buffalo's defense a little bit for playing too much coverage underneath when they should have been focused more on the back end. But at the end of the day, they almost got uh, Murray for a sack, came that close, flushed him all the way out of the pocket until he was falling out of bounds, heaving the ball up in the air, and then had two. He had Hop, they had Hopkins bracketed in coverage with a third guy flying in, and it still didn't matter because the best players won the damn game. It it's ridiculous because the the catch is you know one of the great catches we've ever seen, and you feel bad uh, for Tre'Davious White, you know, in, in all pro, you feel bad for Jordan Jordan Poyer, uh, who I think this year is a Pro Bowler because those guys are posterized. I mean, they people aren't gonna blame them for that loss, but they have they're men, they have pride, and those pictures of just Hopkins reaching above the three Bills defenders mm. is unreal but on top of one of the great catches we've ever seen Murray's play was unreal he not only did a little hesitation as he's scrambling to his left as a right-handed quarterback kind of does the little pause that that makes I think it was Jerry Hughes dive at him but I could be wrong there um, to evade the sack before throwing it while sprinting to his right, like, and then putting it in the exact right spot. Obviously, you get a little bit of luck there um, that you have someone as good as DeAndre Hopkins, but there's nothing lucky about the ability to be able to throw on the run like that all the way to the end zone. I mean, it's almost very, very, very few people, maybe only the, the guy I mentioned before, Aaron Rodgers, could make a throw like that. I think it's like an incredible um, intersection between two teams that see each other once every four years. They were so different four years ago, and they'll be so different when they meet again. Um, two teams that have aggressively built around their quarterbacks because the story of the game was almost Stefan Diggs, the free agent acquisition of Buffalo, uh, making what would have been a game-winning catch. Instead, it becomes um, New Hopkins, uh, you know, it, the, the biggest trade of the offseason, and paying off for these teams. They built around these two young quarterbacks in such an effective way. I mean, and the idea to go get Kyler Murray – when most people thought that that was an insane idea because you had Josh Rosen on the roster. So these are aggressive front offices. Um, it is paying off right now. And Kyler Murray is just simply a complete pleasure to the eyes. Watching him play and change the quarterback position, um, you know, right before our eyes, the quarterback position is completely changing. But, and, you know, it's good timing uh, because on Thursday – I didn't get much uh, back from you guys on it, so maybe I was reading it wrong. But I've kind of gotten the vibe this year that despite Murray taking the leap, it's almost like everyone assumed he was going to do it going into mm-hmm. the season. So when he did do it, it, there wasn't as much of a hullabaloo around it, whereas Lamar Jackson's leap last year, there was a little more like, hmm, is this guy going to actually be that guy? And then what he was, it just built into the mania around his second season. Uh, but – I think you also saw with the two the the two touchdown runs by Murray uh, this pass that we are watching someone that should absolutely be in the MVP conversation, and I think he moves ahead of Russell Wilson uh, after today. And he is 
an absolute transcendent talent that we you don't see every every decade. That and we have Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray both in this league. I don't think that we've seen two guys enter the league within a few years of each other that are this special, uh, really ever. And on the Bills side, you know, Stephon Diggs was a trade also, and they got the they right. gave up a first rounder to get Diggs and Isaiah McKenzie, the Bills receiver. You could pick it up on the parabolic mics when he went to celebrate with Diggs. He was saying, that's why you're here. That's why you're here to win games. And he nearly with Josh Allen, because Allen deserves credit because it was a great throw, uh, saved the Bills from what would have been, um, well, it was a loss either way. But they were flaming out in the second half with tons of penalties and miscues and just not sharp at all. And it just looked like the Cardinals were going to basically walk to a win because the Bills fell apart in the second half. So the fact that they were able to dig out of that, get out of that funk, make an incredible play, and then somehow still lose, they're they're now they got the Dolphins right behind them in the AFC East, and you have some scar tissue because this is about as bad as a loss gets in the regular season. I mean, Dolphins Bills play each other Week 17. I I wouldn't be surprised if that's for the division or if Miami potentially isn't even a game ahead at that point. And you're right, it was a trade for Diggs. But think of how many Bills teams. Of, of old would have gone and gotten digs and you'd be in a dark timeline where none of it's working out. So I, you know, I, I still give, I give them a ton of credit for that, but I look at the Cardinals and say they can beat any team in the NFL. They can beat any team in the NFC. I would not want to draw them in the playoffs at all. If they're on their game. Well, they're box office. I mean, think of these games they're putting up for us. That, that Seahawks game was bananas last week against the Dolphins, which they lost was insane. And then this one, I don't really trust their defense. That's why you know, I thought they were going to lose this game. Um, they did make a couple plays. You know, you can talk more about it, Dan, just you, you watch closer. They, they did force some turnovers by Josh Allen. Uh, I don't necessarily trust him. I wouldn't put Kyler Murray ahead of Russ quite yet. I mean, the first month, it, it still matters to me. He was struggling passing the ball, but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say there's a solid chance Lamar and Kyler Murray are the two greatest runners that have ever played quarterback now. And the, the, the position is changing. It was really well said, Mark. And maybe there's going to be more and more quarterbacks like this. Maybe there won't. But he he is going to take a chance at breaking Lamar's rushing record from a year ago. And just the way he can make people miss is outrageous. And he's he's got more talent in terms of his arm than Lamar Jackson has. He hasn't been, I wouldn't say consistent throwing this year, but he's been good enough and the offense is perfect for him. And, uh, and one final shout-out. I mean – I don't want to understate that throw. That throw by Josh Allen was one of the best throws I've seen any quarterback made all year. He threw it from the opposite hash at the 30. <laughs> it's a no hole. They're, they, they're, that's one of the, like, the of very few arms in the history of the NFL are even strong enough to make that throw. That was a ridiculous throw. Before we move on and listen, Bill's Mafia, if you must, skip ahead about 30 seconds, but I do want to hear the call from John Murphy of WGR. Hit it, Ricky. Pressured. Bills rush four. Murray's in trouble. Gets away from it. Rolls to his left. Fires it downfield. Puts it up for grabs, and it is caught. Caught. Caught for a touchdown. Unbelievable. Caught by DeAndre Hopkins, surrounded by a couple of Bills defenders. He went up and brought it down. Unbelievable. Incredible. One second left on the clock. Yeah, Bills lose. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh. very professional by john murphy I, yeah together um, and the real hero of the call was steve tasker who uh, added bills lose let's move on 
Robert Woods in motion at the snap. They run it right side. Malcolm Brown. Oh, what a hole. He charges into the end zone with a touchdown. Heard of the line of scrimmage and found the paint. (laughs) Hang in there, Bills Mafia. Still first place. J.B. Long, our buddy, KSPN with the call. The Rams delivered a, wait for it, Greggy, statement win on Sunday at Hollywood Park, shutting down the powerful Seahawks offense and getting two rushing scores from Malcolm Brown. 23-16 win. Uh, Greg, the Rams have been a tough team to size up to this point. What did you learn about them today? That I, that their cornerbacks right now, Darius Williams and Jalen Ramsey, make a bigger difference in a offense first league than any pair of cornerbacks in the league. You know, Darius Williams is a guy who picked off Russell Wilson twice today. One one of them in the fourth quarter to me was the key play of the game and was just a, an incredible read and an incredible play. And he's made many of them. I would have him as a pro bowler. I, w- I would hmm. say they've got two pro bowlers right now. And this is a guy they picked up off the scrap heap for Baltimore. He's a third-year player. But he's been incredible all year. And then you have Jalen Ramsey on the other side. They're leaving him single coverage against DK Metcalf the whole game. And Troy Aikman is losing his mind that Russell Wilson will not throw it to Metcalf, will not trust his guy one-on-one to Ramsey. That's the kind of talent. That's the kind of respect that Ramsey um, engenders. And he is playing like an all-pro cornerback right now. So Russell Wilson was scrambled. We can get into that, but I think a, a really good running game. I'm glad we highlighted that, you know, to begin with from the Rams. They got Jared Goff in good situations and a really good defense right now has them as the most complete team in the a- NFC West. It's a three-way tie. I don't know if they're the best team. They're they're certainly the most boring team of the top three, uh, but they're the most complete team. Well, I mean, boring can be okay. Uh, I, I'm with you that they don't, they don't um, you know, capture the imagination necessarily and they don't look like the most complete team in that division to me at times, except that there are fatal flaws with Seattle's so? defense. Like where, where I, is I, the weakness, I guess? The, when I watched like them get taken completely apart by the Dolphins, it just right. left me with a lot of questions about the trajectory of this Rams team. They had 450 I, yards in that game I, against the Dolphins. I understand, I understand, but it was more about how they um, put golf into a really tough situation that he wasn't able, unable to get out of in that game, the way they pressured him. But to start fast with a field goal and two touchdowns today, and, you know, I always thought that the Ramsey trade was rich um, in terms of its cost, but if you have one of the few players that can do what he did today to DK Metcalf, and, you know, Steve Weiss talked to him after the game, and Ramsey was just like, I wanted to tell everyone, about this game plan and what we were going to do, but he had to keep a lid on it. But it reminds me of when the Niners had, or when the Seahawks had Richard Sherman back in the day, and he just erased wide receivers against San Francisco and uh, teams teams out west. I'm not going to, this is absolutely going to sound like if you're a Seahawks fan, um, sour grapes from me, but I'm just keeping it real here. This was an interesting matchup with the defenses because Jalen Ramsey acquired for two first round picks. Jamal Adams required acquired for two first round picks. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, because he's a cornerback, erases DK Metcalf. Now that is the type of talent and the type of game changing type player that is worth giving up two first round picks. I wonder if Seattle uh, could do it again if they would still mm. surrender those picks uh, to the Jets for Jamal Adams. And uh, Greg, you <clears throat> you had your eyes on this game. I know that Adams had what looked like an up and down day. Made some plays near the line of scrimmage, but also uh, struggled on a run, a, a one running score uh, by the Seahawks, by the Rams. 
but I just thought, I think that's notable that this is a game that featured these two guys that were involved with blockbuster trades and involving two ones. No, that's a fair point because there's no question Ramsey's more valuable. You know, if you're comparing, and it was similar what they gave up. Adams had two sacks in this game. He he hurt his shoulder. I think that's why he pulled up a little bit, um, which is, you know, you do not want that. And he, he talked about that a little bit after the game. Their defense played fine, though. I mean, the game ended with the Rams punting three times in the second half and turning the ball over. There was every chance for the Seahawks to come back in this game. They only gave up 23 points. I mean, it might have been their best game of the entire season, the Seahawks uh, defense. Certainly was in terms of points allowed. Russ Wilson had by far his worst game. I mean, I know he said that this is now three out of four games that he's had three turnovers or more. One of them wasn't on him. It was a bad snap today that they they charged the quarterback. I don't like it, by the way. Well, you should give that to the... Give it to the center. You, you throw a throw a, a ground ball into your quarterback's ankle, and the quarterback gets a fumble. That's beside the point because Russell Wilson's first interception was god awful. He could have run for a first down, maybe a yeah, touchdown, and he makes a crazy decision. And it was it was part of what I think was the the most memorable part of this game, which was he was foggy mentally the whole time. I can't remember him having such a bad game. Six, hmm. they, he took six sacks, 12 quarterback hits. A lot of those were on Russell Wilson. Was not getting rid of the ball. Maybe it was what the Rams were doing defensively, had him scrambled. Um, but he was kind of seeing ghosts. He tur- like There was four or five times where the blitz was coming, and he kind of turtled and just like waited for it to get there and had his eyes down. And at the end of the game, he's taking delay of games, and they're barely moving the ball when they have to hurry up. And it, it was like, if I didn't know any better, I was worried like he wasn't all there or something because he was just so – so different than the Russell Wilson you're used to seeing. I find it interesting, though, that you mentioned that you thought he was still hanging around atop the MVP race because I feel like the last two weeks, this is such a narrative-driven award that he's melted away in that conversation. Well, also, yeah. beyond narrative-driven, just results. And these well, are sure, the sure, two yeah, impact I, games know. in the division where it, four turnovers last week and then what you're saying just now for this Well, I, I, like, I do try to think that the MVP race really gets going around now, around Thanksgiving. And right now, his, his his bad month um, or three weeks or whatever it's been hurts him badly. But I think he's in it because he was so good uh, the rest of it. And, you know, there's, Ro- you know, I would put Rodgers and Mahomes ahead of him right now. Uh, but I don't think he's out of it. People people overreact, I think, to one week or two. If he goes off for the next month like he did in the first month, I, I don't think people are going to be saying, well, it's over. It's too, too late. It's too late. The season does not start. Until Thanksgiving. (laughs) I do want to mention one last thing in this game, which could crush the Rams. Andrew Whitworth left, which uh, with an injury that looked like it was a a season ender. I mean, Mm. we'll we'll find out. But just by the the replays, uh, it was pretty brutal there. And uh, that's a killer. He's the left tackle in all pro, having an all pro type of season. Big difference between this year's team and last year's team besides Todd Gurley is that the offensive line has been healthy and better this year and, Take away the left tackle. Look out. Thanksgiving. <laughs> back after this. <laughs> he brought one back for a touchdown this year. Blocked it. It's blocked. It's on the ground. And the Dolphins are going to have the football deep inside their territory. Andrew Van Ginkle blocked it. Took it right off the foot. It was a problem with the snap. Wow, that timed up perfect. Mmm. Jimmy Cephalo, WQAM with the call. 
Every week, the Dolphins seem to get a game-turning play from their defense or special teams. It happened again. Miami's block punt set up a short touchdown, and Tua Tungabailoa won for the third straight time as a starter with another efficient performance in a 29-21 win. Mark, that's five in a row for the Dolphins, uh, who have some serious mojo right now. Yeah, and I, I picked that highlight of the uh, turnover there. It was a blocked punt. Um, that set up a Dolphins touchdown to for exactly what you mentioned, that I I think this is just such a well-coached team. Um, and when we talked on our preview show that you could see um, a mirror reflection at times between Brian Flores and, and Bill Belichick, uh, I think it comes down to really detailed, uh, the details, the special teams um, have made an impact every week. And, you know, I every team focuses on that. But there are squads that float through the year where it doesn't appear that, that um, they lean on special teams to make game-changing plays. And this one it did. Um, that set up a touchdown. I think the Dolphins were helped today by Salvan Ahmed, their running back, undrafted guy. They've had, they've had issue, issues in the backfield. Injuries, um, just not a real lead actor there. Um, he came in and played really well, and I thought that he, you know, for an undrafted back, he gave him some foundation. They've wanted to give Tua a ground game. Um, it helped a little bit today. I'll tell you something else on the special teams. Like on the next on the next drive, uh, where Miami was essentially um, Miami, char- Miami, they were charging down the field, and they were they were set up. They were up seven nothing after that initial uh, you know turnover that set up the touchdown. They're just going to go for the field goal, and the Chargers are sort of the opposite to me of the Dolphins, where I see a lot of questionable questionable coaching, a little bit lack of discipline. They had a key offsides on a fourth down um, field goal attempt by. Miami, it set up um, first down for Miami, and Miami scored again. It was 14-0. And then, Greg, to your point, the one mistake on Miami's part that kept this Miami's. thing closer than I think it would have been otherwise, I think the doors were about to come off, um, a center snap um, to Tua that was botched. It was not Tua's fault at all, but it kind of bobbed out from away from Tua about eight yards back, and the Chargers returned it deep and made it 14-7, keeping it close but this Dolphins defense erased Keenan Allen until basically a final touchdown on, on in, you know, not, not garbage time, but with the game out of hand. Uh, you remove Keenan Allen from this offense. Justin Herbert, I think, was made uncomfortable, which links me back to what happened with Jared Goff when he faced the Dolphins. They find a way to put quarterbacks into tough spots. Happened yep. again today. This is a really well-coached team. You know, I was looking at the playoff seedings and all that stuff. The Dolphins were a, a you know a figment a few weeks ago. They now sit in in right in that in not in the hunt, but they're in that wild card race, having shoved the Browns and others out of the picture. So, I would take this team very seriously. I think Bills fans should be you know looking around over their shoulders. This team is coming at them. How about two AFC East teams going to make the playoffs? I believe, and uh, the Patriots aren't going to be one of them. W- what a change! Right. They're like the special teams. It's funny how you can go into this game thinking this is the biggest mismatch you'll see all season in special teams. And then it, and then it happens. I mean, the Chargers are the worst special teams in the league year after year. And the Dolphins are getting it done uh, pretty much every week. The, the fact that they're winning game, they've won two games with Tua where they didn't even you know gain over 300 yards. 
That's pretty special. Like Herbert, like I would just looking at it, it seems like it was the worst day of his career and they're not helping him out by trying to turn this into the Kalen Balaj revenge game and running it on early downs like <laughs> Anthony Lynn likes to do. Well, they miss Austin Eckler. I really think that it will help to have him back. Um, you know, both quarterbacks, Herbert made some awesome throws in this. It just wasn't enough. And in the, in the game flow went out of the, went out of the, out of the way for the Chargers. Tua, I mean, I just think he has, um, it was not his best game and the numbers don't look great. He just moves really well outside of the pocket. It's kind of crazy to think that he's only played a couple games. He seems, um, to process really well. And, uh, he puts a couple of these balls just totally on the money. I mean, he, th- he's not scared of throwing at tight windows. He had a, th- a toss today to Adam Sheehan, who, um, uh, you know, wonderful catch, but the throw was just an absolute dart. And I think Dolphins fans should feel incredible hope for the first time in a while. There is, there was a throw early in the game where, Two was flushed out of the pocket and on the run dropped one over the linebackers and just out of the reach of the coverage men uh, in the secondary to Mike Jacecki that looked just like Steve Young. And that was the whole thing around Tua uh, entering right as he was getting Trevor Lawrence level level hype in college is when uh, he busted up his hip. Uh, But that's what, the, that's what they say. He's potentially like a historically accurate dart thrower and a guy that um, just can play efficient week after week. And that's what he's looked like. Herbert threw just for 187 yards on 20 of 32 passing. And uh, we mentioned Anthony Lynn. Now they're two and seven, the Chargers. And the season obviously is slipping away. This this was a fork game for the Chargers. They really kind of needed this uh, to find a way to just be on the periphery of the wild card race. So you wonder if this is a team that is headed toward playing out the string status, even with someone as fun as uh, Justin Herbert to watch. I saw something in the athletic this week. They really thought 2021 was going to be the key year for Lynn and that, that he had pretty good job security. You know, the seven games is a long time and things could change. I think it depends on how Herbert's playing because I, I would be cautious about changing coaches and the system. If Herbert is playing lights out down the stretch, we got seven games. That's, that's a long way to go though. So it could go bad or good. Yeah. All right, let's move on. In motion, Chris Godwin, Brady, hard count, hands the ball off. Rojo pops it free. Across the fence, head to the 15-20. Rojo to the 30. Rojo to the 40. Rojo to the 50. Rojo to the 40. Rojo to the 30. High seven to the 20. It'll be a 98-yard touchdown run by Ronald Jones, the second. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Wow. <laughs> That's why they pay Dave Moore to be the color guy in that booth. <laughs> Gene Deckerhoff, WFUS with the call. Ronald Jones got some great blocking up front, and then he did the rest, setting a franchise record with that 98-yard touchdown run as the Bucks ran away from the Panthers. Final score, 46-23. You know, despite breathless reporting uh, over the weekend on tarmac issues involving the team playing <laughs> and then, you know, some – you know, borderline lazy analysis early in the game. Oh, Tampa Bay, really? You know, it all goes back to the tarmac. They're off to a slow start. <laughs> oh, geez. The, 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 uh, you know, between the media and the guys in the booth, they are obsessed with planes being stuck on tarmac. Just calm down. <laughs> Let the game play out. Because the Bucks absolutely assassinated the Panthers in this game yeah. on, on defense. They rolled up over 500 yards of offense. And, uh, Greg, they put last week's embarrassment against the Saints behind them. They did. It was such a great response by their offense specifically because Ronald Jones fumbles the ball on the second 
play from scrimmage for the Bucks offense. And, you know, the Panthers take an early lead. And the Panthers often scored their first three times they had the ball. But the Bucks, after that Rojo fumble, did not punt again the rest of the game. They scored every single possession the rest of the game. Uh, nine straight. And it, I think if you're a Bucks fan, you want to see the offense carry the team. Now, it was against the Panthers defense that struggled to, to stop uh, basically anyone. But 544 yards to 187 yards, and they had that little stretch in the third quarter, and we've seen this from the Bucks. It kind of reminds me of the Ravens a year ago, but in a different way where they could just mollywop a team for about 15 minutes, and then it's suddenly over because they just have so many talented players. They put up all these points in such a dominant um, game, in a game where I think you could say that Brady was up and down, but he had his, he had his playmakers – including Antonio Brown, including Chris Godwin, including Mike Evans, including Gronk, all make sensational plays for him. And so if they're going to carry him and then the defense finally, um, you know, started making plays and forcing turnovers in the second half, then they're dangerous. It doesn't, this doesn't like show me they're going to go win the Super Bowl, but it was important considering the last two weeks that they had had. I mean, I think it quieted another narrative, which I found annoying that, you know, when you add a player like Antonio Brown, I don't want him to be playing football necessarily, but that he would throw off the chemistry and there would be, you know, another receiver would be erased. I mean, looking at the box score here, they're all productive in a game like today. Scotty Miller's been erased a little bit, I think, potentially here. Well, that's fair. Scotty Miller has had four yards, so it's not a great, it's not a great. (laughs) He actually took Scotty's job, which is a bummer because Scotty was having a nice little season to start. But it's, I mean, but why not go upgrade your roster um, if you can? I don't, I think, you know, whatever, we can get into all the business about whether he should be there or not. But um, he clearly, you know, six grabs off seven targets. He does have chemistry with Brady. Um, And I don't know, it makes me look at some of these results we get, like last week's Saints game, and just say, aberration. I'm willing just to completely wipe it off the map. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what to take of that when I see them. I mean, they pummeled a, a wanting defense. The Panthers have been playing really hard, but they, you know, they are not there defensively and today exposed them um, in a game. Yeah, they're just fashion. hoping to stop you in the red zone. And that, that actually worked today. The, the Bucks were only four of eight in the red zone, including, I think they got stopped four times inside the 10. Usually a defense is like, okay, Ben, don't break. But it's a problem if they're in the red zone every single possession. I mean, they also it, had five touchdowns. So I don't, th- right. I don't know if they I mean, totally stopped them. As no, bad as it was it for Carolina's defense. Yeah, it, w- it could have been so much worse. Brady, and you alluded to it, Greg, he missed. Three, you know, touchdowns, uh, one uh, on a deep shot for Antonio Brown early that should have gone for six where he just was way off on it. He threw high to Mike Evans in the end, end zone on something that should have been a touchdown. He missed Gronk on another ball that could have been a touchdown. They kicked three field goals from inside, you know, 25 yards. So you're you're actually, if you're the Panthers, you're lucky that you don't get a, a 60 burger handed to you here. Right. And, and my, my take on the Panthers right now is they are, they're getting there. They're getting there, but their defense needs multiple players. And I see your smirk, Mark. I'm not. No, doing I, a, I'm not doing a victory lap. I but don't I, know. I mean, I like. All I, I'm I, saying I, is the the Panthers, as fun as they are from week to week, uh, they have they have work to do before they are actually a good team. They are not a good team yet. Well, I would say this: they this is not a game you could point to because you you can't close a game when you're you know getting your doors blown off. But they've struggled to close games. That's that's. <clears throat> You know, right. the next step from maturity for them, from coaching staff to players on down. But um, I wouldn't put this into the category of last week where they gave the Chiefs a scare. I mean, they were just completely overpowered. Well, in the first half, um, I think you could point to it like that was 
Matt Rule's Coach of the Year reel because I think Teddy was pretty off in this game. I swear he he was playing about as poorly as he possibly could for being 12 for 12, which is crazy. But his, like the location on his passes were just consistently off. And uh, they were still moving the ball and they were scoring, you know, drive after drive against this Bucks defense. Uh, but then the second half, they had 35 yards and six drives and Teddy got hit low on a, on a play, in, but the game was over at this point, but it should have been called as one of those low hits that they created the penalty after Roethlisberger tore his ACL. And the minute I saw it, I was worried he's getting an MRI. He left the game. Uh, hopefully it's not too serious that it's not worth guessing. Maybe it's, a multiple week thing maybe it's more maybe it's less we'll see but that you know they're gonna they're three and seven and that's a wrap if if teddy's out yeah that that's a fork game for them and they've lost five in a row and teddy just just to note it is not uh the knee that exploded on the practice field with the vikings so that's good it's not messing with that knee but whenever there's an mri involved by the time you listen to this uh dear listener uh hopefully there'll be a uh, good news on that, but we don't have that as of right now. Um, all right, let's move forward. I mean, the, all right, he's on the tarmac. We've all been stuck on the tar- tarmac sure. before. It's sure. not pleasant, but nobody like checks in with Joe Blow the next day. Is like, hey, you struggling today because your plane, you know, needed needed to be de-iced, and then the de-icing agent didn't <laughs> work, and you had to get off that plane. Now. These guys are overcoming a lot more than a little tarmac delay. Give where am point. I? Like, where are the articles and the the breathless coverage? When the quiet storm is stuck on the tarmac. No, there's back to Connecticut. There's no report. Well, I mean, I haven't been there in 20 years, but there's no reporting about that on any level. Um, and it makes you realize what you are at the core compared to the Bucks, just an average run of the mill human um, with a very, very low on the antenna of uh, just, that being tracked. I know we got to stay on track, but I just I hope if anyone in the media is listening to this show, uh, the fact that this was the top headline on ESPN yesterday, and I'm sure at NFL.com, too, on Saturday. You, we don't need we don't need that because it's really not that big a deal ultimately. <laughs> I mean the proof's in the pudding. The Bucks damn near scored seventy points today. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Car handoff. Jacob sprinting over to the left. He's got it walking in. Jackpot, <laughs> baby. <laughs> What's going on with Brent Musburger in the desert, man? I feel like there's something going on, like a Walter he's White a, situation. He's enjoying it. I mean, what a way to wrap up a great career, you know? Which isn't to say that that he's cooking meth and becoming a drug kingpin. Possibly. Well, that just would be like, quite an accusation. There's a level of swagger that he has in his old age that I don't remember him quite having when he was talking about uh, the Bengals' backup quarterback's uh, girlfriend. I don't know. Anyway, KRLF with the call. What was that guy's name? AJ McCarron. Still with us? <laughs> Texans, right? Yeah. Right, good for yeah, him. he's yeah. The Raiders are a good football team. Josh Jacobs had a hundred yards rushing and two touchdowns by the end of the third quarter. And the Vegas defense intercepted Drew Locke four times en route to an easy, easy 37 to 12 win. That score exactly encapsulates uh, the type of game uh, that went down here. Uh, they Vegas as is becoming increasingly clear. Week after week, they're a team that can bully you if you're not physical. And Denver was simply not up to the challenge uh, of what Josh Jacobs in this running game had. Uh, it was a game where Derek Carr and the passing game were not in sync. Nelson Aguilar dropped a touchdown pass. Darren Waller dropped what should have been a walk-in, like 60-yard score. Uh, but it didn't really matter because 
Uh, they were able to move the ball on the ground, and the defense suffocated uh, Denver's offense. The Raiders limited the Broncos to zero yards in the third quarter. Denver only ran four plays in that quarter, and uh, and Luck and Locke, who was getting beaten up all game, just takes way. He's a cowboy. He and not a Dallas cowboy. He takes way too many chances, and quite frankly, without being too hard on the boy, uh, he's not good enough to take many of the chances he does. He killed him with uh, turnovers today. This seems like a Gruden dream. They had the ball for 37 minutes. Um, the run game has been ferocious uh, weeks in a row. Uh, I, you know, I, I think this is like the, the, with each passing week, my faith in the Raiders, um, it grows. And if you're John Elway and you've just come back from your Corona uh, scenario, your quarantine, you've got to be looking at Drew Locke and saying, are we back here again? Are we back here in the search for another quarterback? It, it, mm. It's not just you, Dan. I had like a, I have a bunch of friends in Denver and they're all basically saying this ain't it. This guy is not the guy. Well, yeah, I noticed that on Twitter. Uh, I, I tweeted uh, something like, you know, I wrote Drew Locke. I don't know, man. And then a bunch of Broncos fans, instead of coming after me hard, like which was happening early, everyone seems to be getting to a place where they're losing faith in him, which it's, yeah. he hasn't played a lot, but still there's too many. He has 10 interceptions and seven starts. Oh yeah, our super fan uh, Eric Jansen is totally—he's uh, totally bailed on this guy. I, look, if Locke if Locke had played even remotely last year, like he's played this year, they wouldn't—they would have gotten a quarter. They would have gotten a new quarterback. You know, it's in a different system. They didn't have the off season. That could be everyone's excuse. Then he gets hurt. But all you got to—all you can really evaluate is how he's played this year. And based on how he's played this year, you know, he's been—he's kind of been a disaster. There hasn't really been. Um, good things to look at. The defense is you know, slowly crumbling uh, by the week because of injuries too. And yeah, the last seven games, that's what they're going to be is, is an audition for him. I, I do think it's worth pointing out for the Raiders. They're missing both their starting right. They're both their starting tackles who are like pro bowl level tackles. And so that's why sometimes when injuries, you know, are used as an excuse, it's like good coaching and good, good teams can overcome it that they're still playing this well without those guys. It's awesome. They've played three division teams in their last three games, the Raiders, and they've won all three games, including, of course, uh, the win in Arrowhead uh, that started that streak. And I think they get the Chiefs again next week. Don't next quote week. me on that. Yeah, so they have a chance over the course of four games to sweep their division, which would be wild. Now, if they go and and the Chiefs are coming in their building off a of bye week, if they beat the Chiefs, then we're going to be talking about the, the Raiders as a legitimate feared contender in the AFC. I don't – think they're quite there yet uh but the fact that we can look ahead to that game and say "Ooh, that, that's going to be a fun watch that shows you the progress uh, that john gruden has made in his third year uh with this team so another nice performance uh by the raiders they're feeling good they're six and three they're on track for a playoff spot and the broncos hmm, let's wait till next year once again let's move on the goal line set, handoff goes to Kamara off left tackle. He stopped the first, and that lunges into the goal line. Alvin Kamara from a yard out, and the Saints convert the turnover to a touchdown. Third of the day for Alvin Kamara. Ooh. He deserves it. Alvin Kamara scored not one, not two, but three. Three. Three touchdowns, adding another monster performance to his MVP resume. You don't want to put him on the MVP? All right, MVP let's put him hunt? in the top five. I'm Why not? Put him on that list. As the Saints coasted to an easy 
win over the forked 49ers who will not be defending their conference title come January. Mark, a nice win by the Saints, but some concerns after Drew Brees had to leave this game with an injury. Yeah, I'd be concerned. He's another um, MRI uh, candidate. He's going to get one tomorrow, going to get an X-ray. It was ribs. Uh, Contavious Street um, was flagged for roughing the passer. I actually think um, another debate around that hit was I don't think that was roughing the passer by its um, dictionary definition. But point aside, Breeze came up looking... um, have you ever broken a rib like you can't really breathe that that's what's going on with him? Like he just was like hunched over and did not look good. And like he, he came back in and played a little bit. Uh, but then after halftime, he basically told Sean Payton he, he couldn't do it. He was complaining of back pain, too. So um, we'll see. They play the Falcons next. We'll see what the status mm. is right there. Uh, not in love with what Jameis Winston did um, in the game. A lot of short passes. I think that you'd see a different Jameis Winston if there was a week to prepare. A uh, little too much um, Taysom Hill for my liking. I, I'm, I've moved into that camp where I, I feel like he takes he he plays some really good games and he does things really well. We all know that, but if you're going to have to figure out this situation, there's a lot of plays where on the they're on the field at the same time, you know. And I just I don't know if Winston and Hill need to be. If, if, who are you replacing if you're doing that? Well, um, Drew- Drew Brees has been an Iron Man, and the fact that he wasn't able to go back in the game makes you wonder if we're going to get Jameis Winston in starts. What did, what did you see from him? Well, like I said, I thought they, they didn't really unleash Jameis Winston. It was a lot of short passes. Um, you know, with Kamara playing the way he was, uh, they kind of just sort of game managed their way through the second half. This wasn't a dominant effort. I thought the Niners, who you know, the, like I, the Niners, feel like they can give you a quarter and a half of inspired football with a backup quarterback and a bunch of nobodies. Um, they opened the game with a seven-minute-plus drive uh, with a touchdown that I thought, this is interesting. They're hanging around in this thing. But to point again to special to special teams, the Niners had two killer muffed punts where they lost the ball both times. They lo- Both of those led to Alvin Kamara touchdowns. Uh, Nick Mullins threw a terrible interception as well. And that kind of was the difference, the Niners' mistakes. They're just not able to be who they are, not prime San Francisco. And, you know, not unlike in Carolina, I can have my coaching fascinations. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan can't coach around Sean Payton, even with the backup quarterback, with some of the stuff that's going on in San Francisco. I thought it was um, – a, a the, the star of the game to me was the Saints defense. They had eight QB hits, uh, two sacks, the interception, the Malcolm Jenkins pick I mentioned of Nick Mullins. And they really just uh, dominated. They dominated San Francisco. It was a, sort of an ugly win, but um, you'll take it. I mean, they had 237 yards of offense, the Saints. So right. they've, they've won games in different sorts of ways this year. I think Saints fans were, were very happy uh, to get this sort of win just because of how it played out. Now we'll see. They, they can't win like this each and every week, but their defense has been stepping up. Uh, and so you, you like to see that Camara is a running back that matters. You know who else matters? Uh, Raheem Mostert. Like they, they have really missed him uh, for the 49ers, like no running game since, since Mostert goes down, but it wasn't just breeze. They lost at, at some point, seven different starters in this game to injury, including Marshawn Lattimore, Andrews Pete and uh, CD Deuce Johnson. Uh, so that's that's a problem. Like if that if we'll see how serious all of these are, but that that could be a rough day for the I, They're banged up, and, and Gardner Johnson um, had an excellent game. I mean, he just keep he kept making pivotal plays in this. So losing guys like that um, comes with a huge cost. I'm looking at the NFC standings. The Saints have not lost now since Week Three. 
And They've had a six-game winning streak three or four straight years. I don't know if it's three I mean, or four, that's but that's awesome. ridiculous. That's, ridiculous. that's awesome. And they right now, uh, they're tied with the Packers for the best record in the NFC. And remember, uh, there's only one playoff buy this year. You have to win your conference, essentially, in the regular season to get that buy. And I look at the Saints' upcoming schedule, and it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. They host the Falcons. I know the Falcons are playing better. They go to Denver, and we know the Broncos have a ton of problems right now. Then they go to Atlanta. Then they go to Philly before they get the Chiefs and what's going to be an awesome Week mm. 15 matchup uh, that, ooh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance will be calling. So uh, they seem well set up for another 13 or even 14-win season uh, if things break their way. Mm. But the Drew, the Drew Brees thing is something to watch here. That, that is I'm telling you, Saints fans are not feeling confident about sweeping the Falcons. That's for sure, because the Falcons have played them great in recent years, and the Falcons are playing great right now. So that's that's a tricky one if Drew Brees is out. Greg would watch Saints-Falcons like 16 weeks in a row and never never complain for a second. Best rivalry in football. Let's (laughs) let's move on. (laughs) Handoff Gallman runs right into – no. That's Bill's Cardinals. He runs left to the 20. 10-5, 10-5, and he's in for the touchdown. 34 yards for Daniel Jones. He faked me out again. The Gallman and Jones goes around the left end, and this time he doesn't fall down, and it's a giant touchdown. <laughs> you know who we've heard from a lot on the show in the last five weeks? Bob Papa, a WFAN. Mm. It's the Giants playing better. Who's the best team in the NFC least? Daniel Jones, 34-yard touchdown, gave the Giants a lead. They would not relinquish, 27-17 over the Eagles. The Giants pull even in the win column with Philadelphia <laughs> and now sit just a half game out at first place despite an 0-5 start. And, uh, you know, this has been – this is something we teased on our Thursday preview show, that the Giants have slowly and quietly uh, been putting it together. Uh, since that winless start, uh, their defense has been um, pretty good, averaged pretty good uh, during this stretch. And the offense, when Daniel Jones is not turning the ball over, and I know Greg has created a new rule in the NFL. If you fumble, it doesn't matter. It's still a bad thing, and it should be penalized uh, when you talk about a player. Well, he did not lose a turnover. Uh, he did not uh, turn the ball over for the second straight game. And when Danny Dimes, let's put him in the Canyon of heroes, you know, (laughs) when Danny Dimes does not, does not uh, turn it over. uh, They have a good chance with that defense and a running game. That's now come to life. Guess what? Guess what? They got Wayne Gallman in the house doing things. (laughs) And, and and Danny Dimes for all the mocking and derision, he set the team record for rushing yards from a quarterback today. Uh, So 160 yards on the ground. Uh, so a, a nice team effort by the Giants is what I'm saying. And the Eagles, I mean, they're on fire right now. It's just, it's bad. If Carson Wentz, and I know I just said the Eagles, uh, the Giants defense has been improving, but I mean, come on. I mean, you got to make some plays. You got to, you got to, you, you cannot be throwing high all game like Carson Wentz was. He wasn't the reason they lost this game and he wasn't playing the type of hero ball that's been getting him killed this year, but there's just nothing special about Wentz this mm. year. And when they need him to be special, it's just not there. It's crazy. How is he one of the worst quarterbacks in the league? I mean, I it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to understand that 
Gettleman, the Giants general manager, got some grief for saying, you know, he, they're the best two and seven team he's ever seen. But I get what he's saying. They've they've led by ten points in in six straight games. That's pretty. You know, you you have wow. to be pretty good to do that. And they've had some bad luck, but you have seen this identity when Alf Morris is making plays. And that was more a week ago. Um, but this week, yeah, he had some good runs. And then Gallman is making plays like you're getting some sort of identity. I don't know if the Eagles are half game back. It really hurts my brain. You know, I like to think of myself as somewhat mathematically inclined. But, like, what is three and seven com- do compared to to the three, five and one. I oh, think that's yeah, a that's game. Right. I think that's a game. <laughs> game there are two losses back. Who the hell? Knows? So it's two games in the loss column, but then yeah. there's the, the, the tie. tie. It's a problem. I can't, so I can't do that half? stuff in my, I, yeah. Right. I'm well, I'll, I'll I think check it's in week 17. Yeah. I, it, I think it's interesting that like, um, you know, the giants have maybe snuck up on people a little bit because it was, you know, we had Bo Wolf on timely time to have him come on and talk about Wentz and his issues, which um, rage on. But I, I, I feel like I heard a lot of chatter like, all right, the Eagles coming off their bye. This is when they really turn it around and yeah, we get this just a better of version of Wentz. People handing them the NFC East, um, which I understand because you've got a lot of, um, you know, hideous teams in there. But the Giants look like the better coach team to me over the last month or two. And, you know, Daniel Jones is that streak of um, turnover free games will end. I think we know that will end at some point. But they, it just seems like guys like Wayne Gallman, like stepping up and playing, looking like a different players than they did a year ago in the, for this Giants team. So I, I wouldn't be um, mm-hmm. unhappy at all to see the Giants not only win the division, but win a playoff game. Wow. And we, we talked about it with uh, Jones when when he fell in that Thursday night game on the 70 yard breakaway run. Uh, against the Eagles and a, a game that they lost and had no business losing the Giants. And imagine if they won that game, they'd right. really be going nuts right now. But, uh, you know, that was his butt fumble, and it's something he's going to have to overcome. And even Bob Papa, who's, who's paid by the team, can't call that touchdown run without referencing his fall. So, like, Jones has baggage, and he has guys that, you know, uh, Greg, not like singling you out, but people in the national media that doubt him and feel like he's – somebody who's a problem I'm stupid. it's it's still wait a second it's still it's still early it's still early in the daniel jones evaluation process and now that he's putting together a couple games without the turnovers and he shows you this crazy speed and and it, he it, he was called sneaky fast on the telecast i think we do away. it's not sneaky he we had gotta a do away the sneaky time. fast thing he he can he got up to 22 miles per hour on that fall he was 20 miles per hour on that run that's close to what running backs do. Uh, he has tools to be a good starting quarterback, and I'm really excited to see how he closes out this, se- this season because I'm, I'm with you, Mark, in that he's had his ups and downs, but he's an intriguing prospect at quarterback. He really is. I agree. This game was massive because I think they would have had a hard time crawling out of a hole, but now it feels like it's wide open. So this is they have the worst record of any division in NFL history through 10 weeks. <laughs> um, and if you look at it, they've actually had played a ton of division games compared to other divisions. So the Giants, for instance, are three and two in the division. That's they're zero and seven out of the division. So they only have one division game left. There's not that many division games left in this NFC East. So it's like if you could just get one or two out of the division, that's that's going to be enough. Because the Eagles, at some point, I was just hopeful they would come back and look like a totally different team. Um, but they've just looked like one of the five worst teams in They're the broken. league uh, the whole season. They're broken. I would note that the Giants' schedule is no picnic. They no, have their tough. bye. Then they've got the Bengals, manageable, obviously. Seahawks, Cardinals, Browns, Ravens, and then you close with the Cowboys. So 
Um, you know, we're going to get a, a five or six win uh, team winning this division, which I find painfully delightful in a strange way. <laughs> and my last thought on the Eagles, you have a healthy Carson Wentz. You got Miles Sanders back today. You have Jalen Rager, a first round pick wide receiver. You got Travis Fulgham, who's been a real surprise. He's healthy and playing. Dallas got, got it in the lineup. And you go 0 for 9 in third down. Mm. Most attempts without a conversion in a game by any team this season. The first time the Eagles uh, went zilch on third down since 2004. I mean, They're maybe broken. we get maybe we get a you know another um, Doug Peterson autobiography after this season, um, just to recap what's been going on since the Super Bowl. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> Don't think it would sell very well in Philly, but can't take away that ring, Mark Sessler. Can't take it away. Let's move on. Here we go to win it at Ford Field. Tied 27-27. Three seconds to go. Muehlbach to snap. Fox to hold. Here we go. Snap. Spot. Kick away. It is up. He's got the distance. It is good. It is good, baby. Matt Prater sends it through for 59 yards out, and the Lions are celebrating at midfield. Great call by Dan Miller, WJR. Matt Prater wears an earring. He also <laughs> wins football games in dramatic fashion. The veteran kicker's 59-yard bomb from midfield was true, producing the winning points for the Lions and a 30-27 win over the football team. Greg, the Flying Patricias, they were sipping mimosas after surviving a near collapse. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to hear any more from Lions fans that they're unlucky. Between this and the Todd Gurley didn't fall in the end zone game, uh, they feel pretty <laughs> lucky to have gotten a couple wins over the last month. Uh, I yeah. wanted 2020 to, to give me something. I wanted 2020 to give me a nice Alex Smith comes from 24 to 3 down and leads the Washington football team to a victory with Aqib Talib on the mic, just enjoying the hell out of himself, which is what I like to hear from my broadcasters. Jonathan Vilma's another good one. Uh, who who you could just tell like enjoys the game even if it's not as like as polished as your Trent Greens of the world. It's like give me someone who <laughs> loves football. Came Whoa. through. Whoa, what a subtweet what? there of a uh... yeah. Trent Green. Yeah, that was an intentional choice. Former pro choice. bowler. That was an intentional choice. Uh, it was. It didn't. It didn't give it to us. Um, they had. They had a chance to win. Alex Smith throws for three hundred and ninety yards. Played pretty well uh, throughout the game. And Washington had the ugliest two minute drive I've ever seen to try to win a game. Seventeen plays in two minutes. Tons. Tons of penalties. They end up kicking a field goal and leaving a little too much time. For Matthew Stafford, and the Lions really only won the game because Chase Young had one of the dumbest penalties uh, you'll ever see hitting Matthew Stafford late, which set up the game-winning field goal. Where are we at with Chase Young, by the way? Because we were talking about – we were just talking about – on Thursday show, or it was a Tuesday show, the midseason predictions. Everybody had Chase Young as the defensive rookie of the year. Where are we at? He's been very quiet over the last month, and and so I I don't put him there. I I certainly would – put Julian Blackman or I have to go look at it, but I, he's been quiet over the last month that the Washington football team had one quarterback hit today on Stafford. That was the most surprising thing of the game was he had tons of time. It, it only came from a safety. I was really surprised to see Detroit kind of dominate up front and give the ball to Deandre Swift. And he played great. And that that's the best thing to feel if you're a Lions fan, other than the win. Matt Patricia, somehow, somehow Greg, 
has the Lions at four and five, which does not feel like where the Lions are right now because there's been a lot of doom and gloom. And quite frankly, and it comes from this podcast too, but Lions fans and everyone else that covers the league, a frustration around this team's inability to uh, get better and improve during Patricia's uh, time. But four and five is not a terrible place to be in mid-November. No, with some winnable games coming up. They have Carolina, who might be without um, Teddy Bridgewater, and another very winnable game uh, right after that, where I think they'd be favored. And the problem is you like watch them. There's You just can't convince yourself they're a good team. The, the Washington had 20 minutes of time of possession, had 25, uh, 20 more minutes of time of possession, had 25 more plays. Like it was 24 to three. And I thought, well, maybe Washington can come back. So if that's Mm. where you are with your team, like you can't feel that good. I mean, so I got dropped off the mic here for a minute, but um, are you suggesting that I should now get back on said vehicle and chase this um, Lions caravan? They'll find a way to lose these games. Right. I just, I don't feel convinced. I, well, that's, that's what Greg says. I would say I would be willing to throw up some type of uh, roadblock for Mina Kimes and company, uh, that would force their vehicle to stop, and then you can get the burrow, catch up, and then you have one last chance, and it's either now or never to be on the bandwagon. Mm. There's no more on and off, mm. like it's a San Francisco trolley. Uh, you have a chance right now, Mark, on this podcast in Ooh. week 10 to be on or off. What yeah, are you going to do? I, well, I mean, when you put the words forever and Detroit Lions together, I'm staying clear well, for of that. This season, gonna... For this season, are you on? No, because here's okay. the problem. Like okay. you've got to inspire me, and I don't. I just they they put me to sleep. It's it's like Here, the white noise machine. Here's how it'll it'll play out. They're gonna beat, um, or you know maybe they beat PJ Walker and the Panthers. It sets them up on Thanksgiving, the one day where everyone in America watches the lines. They're at five and five. They'll be favored against the Texans. And everyone will be like, you know what? The Lions are right in it. And that's where they leave. They lose a uh, devastating game. I was going to say they will have a they will have a 10 to 13 point lead at halftime of that Thanksgiving game win. And it will end with Deshaun Watson eating a turkey leg on some postgame show. (laughs) (laughs) Book it. And Kevin Patra throwing a whiskey uh, drink against a wall and his whole family saying, Kevin, we think you have a problem. That's all in I'm not convinced Kevin like still gets emotionally attached to these games. No, I don't think so. But I like the the imagery of him whipping a a glass of whiskey (laughs) against the wall. I just want to make it clear in this scenario that I've invented. It's not that the family's sitting him down saying, we think you have a drinking problem. Uh, Okay. It's, it's more an issue with his temper which is explosive and can be problematic uh, around other people. Well, I'm glad he's the only person that can be accused of things like that. All right, let's move on. Good job, Alex Smith. Here is Chubb. We're all proud. Going outside, one won't go out of bounds, and he does it, and he may go all the way. And he does. No flags are down, and Chubb. He ran out of bounds. Goes out of bounds at the one-yard line. Dick Stockton with another classic call to add to his resume there for Fox. Uh, Oh, Nick Chubb, don't go out of bounds. You don't have to do that. Nick Chubb iced the game with a long run, earned 7,000. Nick Chubb is a class act, tweets in the process. And more importantly, most importantly, clinched a 10-7 win for the Cleveland Browns over the Texans, a game that was delayed by 35 minutes by a sudden storm right before kickoff. Hey, quiet storm, Mr. Sessler, 
It must feel good to get your chubby back. <laughs> um, I love Nick Chubb. I think he's just the perfect fit for the Cleveland Browns. I actually, um, I probably will be losing my fantasy matchup this week because he did that. Ooh. But I thought it was smart football, and and I get the I I knew the classy stuff would get on your radar, Dan, and it got on my radar too because it's like we don't. I, I think he is a classy person. We don't know that he's classy. It, it could have been from any other that. player team. It still is funny when people equate that with a guy being a class act. No, absolutely. But I think that is the Nick Chubb experience. I would say this. I think that last year's team, um, and I'm not putting. I'm not. Maybe Chubb would have known to do that. Last year's team would not have made a savvy move like that to, cl- to close out the clock. They would have found a way to give the ball back to Deshaun Watson. So I think there is a little bit of it where, where there's hope in Cleveland. It's, it's in the coaching where I think that they worked themselves out of a bad game today. This game started 35 minutes late because of um, insane wins. Uh, and it's still finished before Washington Detroit. These wow. teams wanted to run the ball, uh, burn the <laughs> clock, and get out of there. And I, I wrote down my first note because you write all these notes during these games. It was like, I can't think of a game where I came out of a game um, learning with my opinion not changed about either team at all. Um, mm. Deshaun Watson did Deshaun Watson things the best he could. I think that their wideout group is um, has done a nice job in the in the post uh, calamity of trading New Hopkins. They've been a good group, and I thought they were going to win this game. I mean, I, all they needed was two two scoring drives basically to get it done, and they just couldn't. They, they couldn't. But it's not cle- the, the credit of Cleveland's defense in my book. This running game in Cleveland is completely different when Chubb is there. And I, we saw in Wyatt Teller at guard. I mean, they, they are the first um, Browns tandem to both cross 100 yards in a game, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, since 1966. And there have been some good running backs in Cleveland. That's who they are. That's who they've not been able to be the past couple of weeks. Um, I, I would say it's – I give them a, a solid B in this game. Um, they have a lot of issues. I don't look at them the same way that I look at the Dolphins uh, or other teams that are sort of – I think record aside, becoming something special before our eyes. I don't feel that way about the Browns. Um, that said, this is a game they would have lost in the past. They they got they took care of business, right? And I mean they, they've won six games, and they've still got the Eagles and the Jaguars next, and they finished their season with the Jets. I mean, it's like Cupcake City. They have really rolled out the red well, carpet for this Browns team to come make the playoffs. You know, they have some other tough games, but I'm just saying, you just got to win a couple of those. You have to not blow it. And I know that makes you nervous, Mark, and it would too, because the AFC is shaping up in a, a really interesting way where there's a huge division right now between uh, teams with only three losses and everyone else. There's nine teams with only three losses that are six and three or better. So there's nine teams that have really good records. So the Browns are going to have plenty of competition to try to make this playoffs. But but you would want to have to try to earn it. And with the schedule that they have, they have to feel good because they haven't tripped up on these games really. They haven't. And it would be a bummer if they had lost these two totally weather-affected games, which – stand out as maybe the two most weather-affected games in the, in the entire NFL this season. So at least you just split those and move on and hopefully have some normal games. Yeah, I think they get to 10 and 6. They should get – there's a road to 10 and 6. Um, if any any of these teams that sneak into the AFC playoffs, they've earned it. You're not going to get, um, you know, an embarrassment in there. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I You know, games like this, I can't assess Baker Mayfield because the wind was insane, uh, but it, he did not look to me like a difference-making quarterback. And there's been a couple – been too many weeks like that. Been a couple of good ones too, but but I think they have a, they've got a lot of thinking to do behind the scenes about what kind of contract or extension they'd ever give him if this is who he is. The range of outcomes with next week's Browns Eagles 
matchup is out of control. I mean, there's two teams that don't make any sense right. um, from week to week. Well, maybe the Eagles are just bad, which the Browns are not. So you would think they should win that game. Anyway, uh, one little thought exercise here, gentlemen, because we all know, Greg, more than anyone, that in addition to Chubb going out of bounds at the one, um, altering the final score, it changed everything in the desert. Uh, mm-hmm. for people that are inclined to track things that way. But here's the thought exercise. And I blame Todd Gurley for this because it was such a big story that I think it it, it definitely was in Nick Chubb's mind as he was going down the sideline uh, 59 <laughs> yards and then stopped before going the 60th for the touchdown. What's a better um, – what gives you better odds to win a football game? Going up 16-7, and let's assume the point after. So being up 17-7 – with 67 seconds to play and a horrendous windswept day where the opposition has done nothing on offense or being up 10, seven uh, deep in the opponent's territory, but needing two quarterback uh, center exchanges and kneel downs to ensure victory. I would, I would guess that the odds are very close to 50, 50. And if it's even close, just go in the damn end zone, just a thought exercise. Well, I don't think it matters. You're you're right, which is your overall. Well, it matters point. to a lot of people. No, I know. I mean, Fantasy in terms of winning, um, but no, I think going out is clearly the more obvious, the the better because nothing can happen. Right. Like, they, yes, you could mess up a, a center yes, exchange. No, that's snap. untrue. Something can happen. You have right, but snaps. when was the last time that someone blew kneeling on a, on the ball? I can't remember it ever happening. That's Herm Edwards. Well, then we'd really know. Even that one, they hand. Wasn't that a handoff? Wasn't that a handoff or something? Or no? Just saying, that was a run out the clock situation. They, I don't I mean, know. They, it was like it moved. It moved you into like ninety nine percentile. You know, barring something more than totally, that. Yeah, the game's over. If you go out yeah. of bounds. But what's so, what is? Let's let's find this out. Actually, I want to come back to this on Tuesday because it's interesting to me. If we could find data, all this <laughs> malarkey with the win probability, what's the win probability right. of 17-7 with 107 to it's play? It's basically almost no difference, but the difference so is you, you're giving up a slight chance of a touchdown and an onside kick well, in I, another field. I would also that, assume it's, I would assume tough. that like with all these analytics heads inside of every you know front office in Cleveland has 300 of them, that someone was on someone's mic saying, if someone breaks away here, get out of bounds. The averages side with getting out of bounds. Hmm. Right? right. I mean, what are what are they doing? Just, slide, know, just, not offering just those sliding down. Yeah, they're they're telling them don't score. Ideally, call me old fashioned. Although you hit a down there too. Although you ended up in this weird world we now live in, in this Twitter Twitter echo chamber, he was celebrated more for not scoring. So Although I guess that I, it would have been great. I think as a Brown oh, fan, a hero. I, think, I don't think it really mattered either way, you know. But yes, if he had done like a somersault while like doing like a big like eat yeah. it, you know, everyone would have loved that. I too. wanted him to uh, score, I, you know. It was, I, you know, punch it in. But I, you know, eat I it, it. Texans. All about math. This is what you get for keeping Easter B. We see you. It's like, oh, you'll hire a GM. We know who's hiring that GM. It's Easter B. <laughs> You're right. getting the mad, bad mojo. Greg has picked you up the, the torch that I'm not allowed to run around with at this point. So I appreciate that. Too hot for the mic, Rosenthal. All right, let's move on. Rogers looking. Bluffs the left side of the end zone. Leaping grab. Devontae Adams. Touchdown, Green Bay. Oh, what a beautiful play fake by Aaron Rodgers. Wayne Larravee, WTMJ, with the call. Nick Shook now joins us. Devontae Adams did what Devontae Adams does, scoring a touchdown when the Packers need one. His TD grab in the fourth quarter was the difference in a 24-20 win over the Jaguars at Lambeau. Shook, I know home field advantage was 
like fun and happiness in general, eradicated by COVID-19. But how the hell did Green Bay let the loot nights hang out? It was one of those weird games. I mean, every once in a while you see a team that is clearly superior play a lesser team and not necessarily make mistakes, but just things kind of unfold where the lesser team manages to stay in the game. A punt return for a touchdown makes what was going to be a runaway game a close game. And it just kind of unfolds from there. And that's really what the Jaguars did for the most part um, until the latter stages of the game when you actually had to put the ball in Jake Luton's hands. And, well, we saw the result. I mean, he's he's simply not the guy. But, I mean, I credit them for, for battling and, and, and for sticking around in the game long enough to make it competitive. But ultimately, the better team won. They have to be thrilled that Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, put up the kind of game he did, that it's not just Devontae Adams, but Aaron Jones came back. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the numbers here, not mind-blowing. Was it, was it just sort of the way the game went, that he wasn't um, massively impactful? Yeah, and it was one of those strange games where the Packers won time of possession by a small margin, and it worked out in the Jaguars' favor in that it limited them from making their own mistakes. You know, the longer the Packers had the ball, um, the less of a chance the Jaguars had to make a, a game-changing or a crushing mistake, like throwing a pick six or something like that. And the credit to the Jaguars for limiting the Packers' ability to turn those into points. Um, for the most part, it was the Packers settling for three, not being able to turn those possessions into touchdowns except for a few occasions um, and, and kind of just resulting in a closer game than expected. But, I mean, if you watch the game on the field, for the most part, it, you could tell. I mean, you knew who was the better team like we knew coming into this game. And it was just a matter of them pulling out the victory. Not every win is pretty, and this is an ugly win for the Packers, but it still counts the same in the standings, even if it was against the Jaguars. I think it's interesting, um, as I alluded to, with the home field advantage. Like, if, if there's 60,000 fans going nuts at Lambeau in this game, you get the feeling it's just totally different. It's This year is different without fans, and 10,000 fans in a stadium uh, obviously aren't making that much of a difference uh, because – I. I would guess, because I think there has been a host of uh, road teams that won again this week, that it's continuing to be a situation where uh, teams on the road actually are faring better than the host teams in games. So I I think there's something to that, uh, and that's why games like this, although it's a little bit head-scratching to me that the Jaguars were winning in the fourth quarter and even had a chance uh, to drive for uh, what I call go for the, the Eli setup, which is where you're down Four points, not three, and you got the ball, and it's like score touchdown and win or lose. Uh, unfortunately, and uh, you know, as someone that's leading the Loot Knights, uh, Nick Show, uh, <laughs> I didn't see anything magical on that last possession uh, by the young passer. No, absolutely not. Um, I mean, he he is adept. I think at maybe rolling to his strong side, to his right arm side. And finding an open man, you know, seven or eight yards away. But I would expect most quarterbacks who reach the NFL to be able to do that. Beyond that, though, he's not going to make a, a, a throw that dazzles you. He's not going to make the clutch throw for the most part. Even the week prior, his his most clutch play was him scrambling and then just spinning out of a tackle to score a touchdown. Um, if you watch him on a pass-by-pass basis, it's very clear that this guy, um, you know, who is who he is and, and was where he was in the roster. This is not the future of the Jaguars by uh, – any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and even if you take him and compare him to Gardner Minshew, who has not been very good this year, I would still take uh, Gardner Minshew just simply in the fact that if I gave him the ball in the situation they were in today, he might make a few more plays and make it a closer game. 
You're in a, a fixed stand. A... You're in a fixed stand. I mean, you you've started this fan club. Um, it's already losing tremendous steam. It's more like Jake Lutank at this point. Uh, and you know, but you're gonna you have to stick with it. You can't just bail on this. You've got a lot of pamphlets to write. Um, you know, got to get the the mailing addresses up to snuff. Uh, well, I've been, I mean, I've, tr- I've tracked this for years, Mark. And what I've noticed with you is when times get rough, you just jump off your fan clubs. Why that's can't I true. do the same thing? That's that's just inaccurate. I'm completely dug in on these. How's David Blau doing these days? Yeah, where's, well, where's I mean, the, the Blauer? What, what were they called? Blauhards. The Blauhards. Not the Blauhards, what were they yeah. called? What are they called? Because it's a vibrant community. And we know that our time will come. And when he goes silent because he's not being given a chance, do, do you trust the Detroit Lions? Why am I the- blanking on that white Vikings running back? Zach Center? No. Uh, Toby Gerhardt? Toby Gerhardt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where's the Where's the Gerhardt updates? That wasn't a fan where's club. My newsletter, so much Mark. As, uh, that wasn't a fan club so much as uh, <laughs> just a slight fascination. Anyways. <laughs> Back to the back to the story at hand. No, right. uh, it is shocking. But before we go, it, they need yes. to not have these no shows. It's a little shocking to have sixteen first downs, punt four or five times, have two turnovers against the Jaguars' defense. I mean, that's a problem. They, it's great they win the game, and hopefully, it's not a big deal. But they've had a couple no shows offensively, which is surprising for for such a good offense. Erica, you have another one that just came to mind. Yeah, Seth DeValve. Uh, Seth yeah, DeValve. What happened? I mean, Seth DeValve is. What happened to the safety DeValves? Seth DeValve and, you know, Nick knows that Seth DeValve is someone that is, you know, not just going to go away because he's shipped his fourth or fifth team in as many years. Um, TBD, not a huge fan club. I, losing steam, I will admit. You've got to. What, what about Bill Lazor? Also a, a fan club under duress at the moment. You know what? What can happen Monday night is Bill Lazor could, uh, he's calling the plays now Big for up. the Bears and he could take out Mark, who locked up against uh, Bill Lazor. Yeah, burn, burned so. by your own fan club. Uh, Seth DeValve is very strong in uh, in the community. Uh, he, he was a big volunteer guy when I was mm. in the Browns. I always saw him at all the community events that I had to go cover there as part go. of my job. Nice job. Nice we should mention David Bakhtiari uh, got, a, I think, the biggest contract in the history of tackles uh, on Saturday night. Left left tackle. The I was going to anchor our Tuesday podcast, uh, Greg, way to spoil it. <laughs> 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 Happened yesterday. What are we gonna do? I also want to do forty minutes on it. <laughs> I also just wanted to give a nod to James Robinson, who continues to give a workmanlike effort and uh, broke a hundred yards rushing today. I think he had what uh, hundred nine today. So nine. All right. They just find these players in the late rounds. There you Anyways. go. Good breakdown of the game, boys. Up next, fires over the middle. Chase Claypool with a leaping grab in traffic for the Steelers' eleven-yard touchdown. Vaughn Bell scratching his head in the end zone said, how did Ben do it and how did Juju do it? How about that Ah. Mapletron over the middle? Mapletron. I like that nickname. Bill Hillgrove with the call WDVE. Ben Roethlisberger carved up a host of Bengals reserves in the secondary for four touchdowns. Two to Chase Claypool who I believe has nine in nine games this year. That's a rookie, kids. As the Steelers cruise to a 36-10 to win over the Bengals in Cincinnati. Shook, this looked like a bad matchup for Cincinnati based on the state of their roster, and that's how it played out. Yeah, based on the state of the roster and the fact that they can't protect Joe Burrow, who attempted 11 passes under pressure today and completed one. Uh, I think he was hit a total of 13 times, which is actually a lower total than I expected, uh, considering this Pittsburgh defense leads the league in total pressures. Uh, as a team this year, but it, I mean, it, it was what you could expect. It was basically a tale of a team 
taking a lead with on the back of its defense, shutting down the opposing offense, the Steelers being that defense, converting that one of those turnovers that they had. They forced two turnovers in the first half into points and just suffocating the Bengals. They didn't have much to do of anything. They missed Joe Mixon a lot. Um, and T. Higgins had a nice game, but for the most part, um, I mean, when you go 0 for 13 on third down, you don't have much of a chance in this game. And uh, no matter how good Joe Burrow's looked so far, I think the Bengals produced a blueprint to shut him down. You have to have the personnel, of course, to execute that. Um, but for the first time, I think this year, Joe Burrow looked completely uncomfortable for a large portion of this game. A lot of that had to do with the fact that they were from behind early and they were trying to claw their way back in. He had to drop back over 40 times again, which has become a recurring theme for the Bengals. But uh, largely, their offense really missed Joe Mixon, and they just weren't able to keep up. I think the rematches uh, with the Bengals against the Steelers and Ravens matter because whatever positive spin you want to put on Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and the season they're having doesn't feel right if they lose by 30 every time they play the Ravens. I mean, they couldn't – they couldn't – they were – the Ravens and the Steelers, I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all. They've been absolutely – blown out by both of those teams and then you know they lost to the Browns so they're staring at 0 and 6 in the division even though they've looked good almost every other week on offense like you got to have an answer for those teams or else that doesn't really matter if you're looking good the other weeks they played everybody else tight uh this season except for those two games but in those two games they were outscored 63 to 13 so mm-hmm. i mean it tells you where they are they can hang and even beat any teams that are average or below average uh, but when you go up that weight class in your own division, it's they're just not close right. to ready. It's, it seems like Pittsburgh and Baltimore are not um, not into the concept of Ohio football becoming a thing in the AFC North, Nick. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that, you know, the same could be said of the Browns, who are 6-3, and three, but got absolutely destroyed by both those teams in similar fashion. It's kind of – I felt like I was watching a less talented – I don't know if that's necessarily the word, but a less <laughs> equipped uh, Browns team playing this game today. Basically every other Browns team we've watched before this season. Yeah, like, except, except for the franchise quarterback and everything else was pretty much like It's those like Browns we have a perfect encapsulation through 10 weeks of what the AFC North is. You have the two <laughs> big dogs, the Ravens and Steelers, and they are going to be neck and neck and it probably will come down to the very end of the season. You have the Browns that are clearly a step below those two teams, but clearly a step above the Bengals. It's all set up right there. We already know what we need to know. It helps with organization, I guess. We understand what it is. It's the only two two blowouts the Steelers have all year. I mean, I think it's good. I think the Steelers have to feel good to have a blowout because they've had too many of these these close games. But it's the only two blowouts they've had all year. Maybe they can build on it. I think of like a team like last week, like Seattle had seven sacks. But it's like, okay, when Pittsburgh, they had four today, like – quarterbacks coming off of the Steelers game, typically a loss every time a loss this season. There's like a legit physical hangover to that. The Steelers like damage teams and break offenses. And then, you know, you got talk radio going crazy the next day and whatever city dealt with Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, it like damages the psyche permanently. It takes weeks to wear off. It's like uh, when you get out of college and then you go out drinking for the first time and then you have like a, a two-day after effect. You know, it's not just that morning. It's the day after and it might stretch mm. into the next day. That happened to you at 20, 22 or 23. That's already happening to you. Yeah, that, that, that happened to me at 22. I'm far from 23 now, but yeah, that happened. And you exercise, too. apparently. So I, I don't, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a doctor. Uh, I, I sit here in an office in downtown Cleveland and uh, watch football. So, you know, I definitely have that degree, right? <laughs> Let's move on to Sunday night football. Oh, Sunday night. Now the pass goes to Myers, and it's behind the line of scrimmage, and he's going to throw a high school quarterback. He was, and Burkhead will make the catch. 
in the end zone. Oh, those tricky pats. Al Michaels with a call for NBC. Rex Burkhead pulls in the Jacoby Myers catch, 24-yard touchdown. That put the Patriots ahead, and they never gave up the lead, going away 23-17 over the Ravens in rain-soaked Gillette Stadium. And it was torrential, especially in that final drive when I guess God decided the Ravens were not winning that game uh, because that was mighty. So, you know, Greg, in a tough year um, for Patriots fans who had grown accustomed to the throne of ease, uh, it's it. Nothing's been easy. I'm stupid. But this is. I'm stupid. Easy. Stupid. But this is a nice win for New England. A bad loss for the Ravens. And let me say this, Greg. I thought uh-huh. you were a little dismissive of your favorite team after their win over the Jets. You had some comments that they really I'm shouldn't stupid. be taken seriously. That they are so flawed and they were going to get wiped in this game. But guess what? Well coached teams that have some good players. Find a way. Yeah, I'm I'm stunned. This was a game that was hard to see coming. Like, you know, 31st in DVOA and defense heading into the game. They hadn't shown much. The conditions absolutely helped them. I mean, they are one of the best power running teams in the NFL. It was perfect for a mutter like Damian Harris, who has come on in recent weeks, is a lot of fun to watch, does not go down easy. They've had some young players step up like Jacoby Myers, their safety Kyle. Duggar played well tonight, but this is more of just like a team smart victory that, you know, we've seen from Bill Belichick squads over the year that I obviously did not think they had in them, but it considering the conditions and the opponent, like they're going to be playing meaningful football now for another week. They got the Texans and, uh, and you'll see after that, I, I don't know if they can turn it around, but like this alone to have that sort of classic Patriots moment in that weather was, uh, was satisfying. I thought it was like a instructive, um, film that might be used, uh, categorically down the line for center quarterback exchanges and, uh, you know, shotgun snaps. I mean, Mark Ingram, the wildcat snap that was botched, um, on fourth and one that gave the Patriots the ball back at the Baltimore 37, the killer, the killer misconnection between Lamar on, on that one play that, uh, it led to fourth and 15 where he had to run back and dive on it. I mean, yes, it was terrible weather, but it was terrible weather for both teams. And, um, they showed that Lamar Jackson is one in six in his career and now one in seven, uh, when they are losing at halftime. And I, and, and it's not a Lamar Jackson thing as much as this era of the Ravens to me. Um, is a team that needs to uh, be in the lead. And then they do all the Ravens things that make us so, uh, you know, inspired by them and think that they can move on into January. But then when they, when they get knocked back a yard or two, when they get punched, they don't really respond the way that I would expect them to. And, and, and like, I, I put a tweet out just asking like, who are the Baltimore Ravens? They have one quarter to show us. And all these Ravens fans are saying injuries, injuries were banged up. Well, you are. Everybody is. Everyone is. It's like, I don't really like, I, I was kind of surprised that um most of the mentions were just Ravens fans making excuses. They don't seem like a team that makes like that, that, that uses excuses or injuries or weather at all. I think they see themselves as the equal of the, of the Patriots, but they aren't um, in terms of uh, where we are today. I don't know this to me. I, I, I knocked the Ravens down a tier or two 
in the AFC. I'm not sure I totally buy into the experience this season. What do you think, it, Shook? It is a recurring theme with this with the Ravens in the last year and a half. I mean, we can go all the way back to what they did in the playoffs last year and how they you know, had an unceremonious and surprising exit and that lost to Tennessee. This is a team, like Mark said, that cannot operate from behind with less than a quarter or less than a half of football to play um, because it's and it's not necessarily an indication of Lamar's ability, but they just cannot, as a team, effectively pass the ball when they need to most. They, they well, it was, hard, it, it was hard to throw, but tonight yeah. that feels like a weird yeah. criticism because he threw the ball really well, I thought, tonight for the most part. Oh, here comes the Lamar defenders out no, again. God he, forbid he ever did anything He didn't wrong do enough. He didn't do enough. Loss. No, I'm not God even saying that. What I'm saying is as an offense, effectively, when they are down and they need to do something outside of their their scheme, which is they are this powerful rushing attack, they struggle to do it. They struggled to do it against the Chiefs in their loss earlier this season. And, of course, the conditions tonight, of course they had an effect on it. He had some drop passes and everything else. But my point is, is for a team that's a legitimate contender, they have found themselves in this situation a few times, and every time they've proven to be the same team, which is a team that cannot come back from a deficit when it needs to most. And I don't, I don't know how you get on board with a team like that down the road, long distance, yeah, maybe they have you know the ability to jump out to a lead and, and dominate on the ground, but I can't trust a team like that when the games are close late in the year. Tonight was unique because of the weather. I just mean tonight is not the night. I think you look at it and you blame the the Ravens' best player. I thought Lamar Jackson played a really no. strong game. Like I don't think one of his one Lamar of his Jackson, best no one of his best throws. It, it was one of those nights where a lot a lot went went right for the Patriots, and they they earned their breaks. You know, a lot of them were just good plays. You know, Rex Burkhead or James White or or um, Harris making good plays on third downs. But I'm thinking of like the best throw of the night that Lamar had on the second to last drive, and it's yeah. taken back by a legal formation. The final drive of the game, he makes that great run. It comes back by a hold. Like he averaged over eight yards per attempt in a, in a monsoon. He had that one interception. He didn't play like amazing. He's definitely stepped down like a huge peg. But I look at this game, and I'm more worried that you know that the only thing the Patriots are going to do is run the ball and best on best. The Ravens are supposed to be good run stoppers. I know they lost Campbell and then they lost Williams, but the Patriots had it all over them and they, they won the situational football going into halftime with that trick play and then coming out of halftime with the best drive that they had. So that was the Ravens defense, which I've talked up a, a lot this year. They did not get it done. Neither did the Ravens running game. Really? It wasn't, it wasn't a great game by Baltimore's defense. And, and you mentioned it that, the Patriots ran for 173 yards. Damian Harris, he slowed down in the last quarter or so uh, when they were stacking the box on him, but he was going off for like 10 yards a clip at one point. And uh, listen, Lamar Jackson's going to get criticism even when you don't think he deserves it. Uh, but heavy, was it? Heavy lies the crown. Heavy sits the crown because he's the defending MVP of the league. And when you when you have set the bar that high, um, you're going to be your name will be invoked whenever the team struggles. And the fact that the the fact that we're in a situation here where every time the Ravens seem to get punched in the mouth, they don't get up. It's just not a great look. And I that's the, and the end. I'm not even going to get 
worked up about the last drive of the game because it was a absolute monsoon. But in, in general, like, and this isn't literal, but it they played like a team that just wanted to get out of the rain. Like they, the, the me, drive before that was where, as a Patriots fan, I think the, the Ravens are going to go down the field. And Mark mentioned it was that center snap. I mean, that killed two of their drives. That's, that's execution. Though. That's both and, yeah. teams dealing with and, that same. Yeah. And, and the Patriots, Absolutely. the Patriots didn't execute it in this game and the Ravens did not. So the Ravens are a team that, if you have doubts about them, they've earned those doubts because it seems to me, especially in these games where everyone's watching, that they don't always react well to them. And it's just not a great it's not a great sign if I'm a Baltimore fan. I would just say also we're days removed from Lamar Jackson going on the Rich Eisen show, knowing this would become a headline moment, saying people are telling us like they're calling out our plays. They're diagnosing us pre-snap. They know what we're going to do. Our offense is not fresh. It's not something that's going to surprise you at this point. That's the second major player in their offense that's complained in the last three weeks. You tell me that Bill Belichick like, is not seeing what Lamar Jackson voiced um, right. even before he voiced it. And I would just be there. Just some con- there are just elements of concern around the Ravens that would leave me uneasy if I'm a Baltimore fan thinking you're going to go 12-4 and four and hop into January. I don't think that the course is going to be that smooth, um, that blissful at all. It's going to be tough to even really get into a good situation playoff wise um, at all. This is not last year. Three back, they're three back of the Steelers. That now is like a huge deficit. It's no longer like you just assume. Oh, it's down to those two teams. The Patriots, though, like I'm, I'm surprised. uh, Like Ricky still has issues where she thinks Cam's not good. Like I am loving the Cam Newton experience. We know it's not Cam Newton from 2015, like as a thrower, Um, but he helps make that running game go. And they love playing with Cam Newton. I did not think they had this sort of game in them, but like I, even if it's only for one season to me, it's been, it's like a fun experience. The the Cam Newton experience, like basically everything bad that anyone ever said about Cam Newton, it feels like it's the opposite right now. It's a lot more about his like leadership and and his mind than really his athleticism that that's carrying the day. Yeah. It's, we'll look back on this as as a strange time for a lot of different reasons. Cam Newton being a Patriot, one of them, but I think, I think just to kind of go back on what Mark said about the Ravens real quick, you know, my criticism of their passing game is not really Lamar based and especially in in the elements tonight, it's more about their scheme. Like Mark mentioned how Greg Roman's offense, I'm not saying it's necessarily one dimensional, but it's got an element of being a little one dimensional and being a little predictable. And, and I think that when they find themselves in situations like that, it's also, I think their lack of personnel still kind of hurts them. I mean, can we please, can we go out and get a number one wide receiver for this guy? Because no, because we're not going refuse to do that ever. We're not going to call him Marquise uh, Hollywood Brown anymore. He's now Marquise Reseda Brown because he is a number two or number three receiver. He doesn't get separation. Please get somebody in there to help him out at the wide opposition. That and another thing, the, the, the other big thing that I think they're missing from last year is they lack the the depth at tight end that made their heavy set so absolutely. They, can't, they just can't capitalize on those mismatches anymore. Nick Boyle had a terrible injury tonight, and that's going to hurt them again going down the stretch. Right. Basically, just Mark Andrews back there. Boyle, Boyle, and Ronnie Stanley are the two best blockers by a lot of people's estimation at their positions in the entire NFL. And it Stanley's not coming back. Boyle might not be coming back. Williams and Campbell are gone. You're right. It, it, they are excuses on some level, but if those guys aren't coming back for a while, that's a problem. You know who else is a problem? Jacoby Myers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, there you go, Greg. <laughs> Listen, what it. do you have, Greg? What do you have? You have 
arguably the best offensive line in football. That feels like a pretty big deal. In the top NFL, five. Top in five for sure. Top five for sure. PFF might argue it's number one. I mean, I saw all those guys ranked in the top 15 of that ranking when they flashed it up. You have a, a an emergent running back in Damian Harris. Uh, you have a cornerback that leads the league in interceptions that is not Stefan Gilmore, who hopefully will come back down the line. And you have Cam Newton, who can make things happen from time to time. They're frisky. Hey, oh, oh, and the best head coach of all time. So, mm, that's I it. mean, you were playing the fiddle and or the violin saying how this team is not any good. They're still pretty good, and, and don't rule them out sneaking in the back door of the playoffs. I'm sorry. Right. I'm um, stupid. All right. <laughs> you're, also, you're also one Jacob away from the Jacob trifecta with Jacoby, Jacob, mm. and you would just be a Jacob Hollister away from – there it is. Boom. There you go. I think Jacoby and Myers is like a – Legal outfit on the East Coast that we grew up with also, if I'm not mistaken. It was and probably still is. All right. Mm. Good stuff. That is the Week 10 uh, recap. We have one more game to play. Uh, Vikings at Bears at Soldier Field. Mark, yes, just to to remind you, has locked up Kirk Cousins on the road against the top defense in prime time. So if there's – for that reason alone, watch to see how good Mark is at locks. He's having a nice season, but he's really – He's really uh, throwing caution to the wind. Uh, I mean, unless night. I switch to the Bears, well, I've got time to to pull that lever if I need to. Uh, that is a lever. Um, but uh, thank you, Nick Shook, of course, for helping us out. And uh, Ricky Hollywood's going to sleep well tonight, so I'm happy uh, for her as well. This is Dan Hansa signing off for the Quiet Storm, the old boss, the unshookable Nick Shook. I don't know. And Ricky Hollywood. Not Ricky Reseda, although that does roll off the tongue better. (laughs) (laughs) Until Tuesday. go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you